Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for making this a part of your life. However you listen, however you watch, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Be sure to rate, review, uh, share with a friend. You really are what makes this podcast go, what makes Go Long TD go. So we'd love it um, if you checked out the newsletter as well, golongtd.com. A lot of profiles, stories. Uh, Bob McGinn, he has a great piece on Aaron Donald up this week. He talked to scouts. Uh, from around the NFL, talk to Jeff Fisher, talk to Greg Williams, talk to Wade Phillips to really figure out how Aaron Donald was, you know, perceived out of the draft. For one, <laughs> the red flags were all over the place. There were a lot of people who didn't think that Aaron Donald would amount to anything. And now he may be the greatest player in pro football. So I thought that Bob just did a phenomenal job, as always, with his reporting and uh, capturing the career of Aaron Donald. So check it out. If you subscribe, also, we are always brought to you by Hamburg Brewing Company here on the podcast. Uh, be sure to get on into the brewery, try out their new Hoppin' Stance IPA. It is our favorite. It delivers in every possible way. So we hope to catch you there at HBC if you live in or around Western New York. You're going to love our guest today. Seneca Wallace really had a ton of stories to share. He got into Mike Holmgren. He got into Matt Hasselbeck. He got into Aaron Rodgers, of course. He really got to know Aaron Rodgers on that more personal level, being in the quarterback's room day in and day out. Wasn't surprised by all of the events of the past couple of weeks. So I think you're going to love Seneca Wallace. Also his own career. He was in the NFL for a decade. And uh, at every turn, it seemed like teams wanted to make him a wide receiver. He was able to last as a quarterback playing for Seattle and then bouncing around after that. So enjoy the podcast. Let us know what you think. And we'll catch you at golongtd.com. Thank you, everyone. Without further ado, I'm so pumped for uh, this week's guest, Jim. Uh, Seneca Wallace, great to see you again, man. We, we crossed paths in Green Bay in 2013, um, but you were one of those guys in that locker room. You just felt a magnetic pull that you, you had to talk to Seneca. You were going to learn something about the Packers, about the quarterback <laughs> position. And I don't know, to this, to this day, Seneca, uh, I really feel like and you, you tell us too, I'm sure we'll get into all of it. Like that was going to be an amazing opportunity. I mean, I feel like, absolutely. You, would, you know what I mean? If, if you were able to stay healthy and that, mm-hmm. that start against the Eagles, um, maybe we're talking about you leading this team into the playoffs yourself, but right. uh, just an amazing career, you know, a, a unique career. Uh, we'll, we'll get into everything, but you know, Iowa state, Maybe mm-hmm. the greatest player ever in Iowa State history in my book. I mean, this is a, a career that helped put the program on the map. You're a guy that, you know, from high school to college to the pros, everybody kind of wanted you to be a receiver. You're able to last a decade in the league as a quarterback. So we can mm-hmm. get into that and just see what you're doing uh, in life today. But, man, good to see you. How's life? Where are you at? I did see you're drinking a beer, so you're already on the same <laughs> well, page as us here. Which well, is what we like look, to if I was – if I was a beer drinker, but this is a, uh, it's called a clear American. It's a mandarin orange. It's kind of just a carbonated water. <laughs> you yeah, man. Okay, I, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a drinker, man. But yeah, it's, uh, 
you know, Green Bay going back on that uh, bittersweet, you know, it was one of those situations where you like going to an, uh, to get an opportunity there in Green Bay and a very unique opportunity, may I say that, but, you know, uh, they signed me going into week one. Obviously, uh, they kind of knew that I had a adductor injury that I sustained when I was in New Orleans that year. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to have surgery, opted out of surgery. And that's when it happened. It happened again, not knowing that Aaron was going to go down for the first time and break his collarbone. And I finished off the Chicago game when he went down on Monday night. And body felt good the whole week of practice. And it was just literally the same movement that I did when I was in New Orleans to tear it the first time happened again against Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where once it happened, the chances of it happening again was very high and without having surgery. And so it was unfortunate, man. I mean, because I, I felt really good in that situation. I knew the system. I felt fairly well with uh, Mike McCarthy and, and the things that they were building there in Green Bay. I mean, obviously I knew uh, it was Aaron's team, but it was a great opportunity for me to go out there and, and to lead that team and hopefully into the playoffs. But yeah, man, it was, it was hard for me, man, because at that time you don't realize where you are in your career and being the oldest player there in Green Bay at the time, and then you get injured and trying to get an opportunity to, can, you know, kind of keep your career going and then you get hurt. It's like uh, you don't get that opportunity. It really wasn't like I had any closure and, yeah. um, you know, and, and I wanted the closure to my career and the closure kind of came in a sense last year with me going to Dallas Cowboys and coaching with them and kind of being back in that space again. And it felt good uh, on the other side of it as a coach, but. Yeah, man, that Green Bay thing, man, it just kind of still lingers on me. But at the end of the day, you know, I can't, uh, you know, put past the, the the career that I had in the league and being the first minority quarterback to ever start in Green Bay history. So that was huge. Um, so, you know, it was a for me, I would say it was a good career and we can go into the other side of it and yeah. talk a little bit about, you know, just the the path that it took me to get to that situation. So. No doubt. And, and real quick on Green Bay, everything you need to know about your ability as a quarterback, Seneca. I mean, covering that training camp, they they were dead set. Graham Harrell, I want to believe, was going to be the number two. I don't know. B.J. Coleman was. I think around, but you know who you know who was Vince there. Young. Was Vince Young. Yeah. Vince Young at the Vince end. was there. Yeah, and he, he was he struggled. Oh, he struggled with the uh, with the uh, you know with the, the terminology in the offense. They said he struggled a lot, even running, reading the plays off the uh, wristband, which West Coast terminology can be very difficult. It can be very difficult if you're not used to it. And so uh, it took me a little bit to get used to it because obviously it, it's apples to oranges. You know, yeah, I was in a West Coast terminology for nine years and then I go to Green Bay and they want to switch up my stance. And when I'm in shotgun, they want to switch up, you know, the way we call certain things. But the route tree and the concepts are all, all all the same. It's just the hard part is getting that verbiage down. They give you a call. I mean, literally a few days before the season started to be the backup quarterback. Like you don't see that very often. I mean, it, they, they, they had a lot of, that's, that's a tough situation well, to get thrown into. It, it says a lot about your yeah, career where you were at. It was, man. But you know, the, the crazy thing was, is I left when I got released Second week of training camp in New Orleans, I got hurt. I missed, well, not even the second week. It was like the second day of practice. Tore my adductor. I was on the shelf for about two weeks. Ended up coming back, played in the, I want to say the third preseason game. No, second preseason game. Uh, played against the Raiders. Went off. It was okay. Wasn't, uh, wasn't my best performance. Um, and so they released me. They had Luke McCown there at the time. And so Luke had been there for, with them uh, prior. And um, so Coach Payton came up to me and said, hey, we feel good about our situation. We want to give you an opportunity to kind of go somewhere else. Somebody will sign you and, you know, at least give you an opportunity to make a squad. So I said, okay. So I ended up flying to San Francisco the next day. And I was actually on San Francisco's team going into the third preseason game. 
Now, I kind of knew the situation that was kind of unfolding when I was in San Francisco. They had Colt McCoy, um, and Colt McCoy wasn't playing very well in the first two preseason games, and they were looking at cutting him and releasing him. So Harbaugh brought me in as somewhat what I called and talked about for the Sacramento Bee as bait. So I was a person that came in to kind of give, you know, Colt McCoy a little bit of pressure and also to get him to take a pay cut. Because literally the following day that I signed with San Francisco, he took a pay cut. We go out and play Minnesota. And then the following game was on a Thursday against San Diego. And literally that day, I went and talked to Harbaugh and said, look, if you don't see me being on this 53-man roster, there's no point for me traveling with this team. I've only been here five days. I can see what's going on. Oh, so we talked. Oh, well, you know, uh, do you want me to uh, – you, you want to retire? No, I don't want to retire. I just want to be released. I don't want you to have my rights. Just let me go. Long story short, on the game that night, they played that night, and I'm watching the game. I drove home to Sacramento where I'm from. I had a house there at the time. And me and my wife are sitting there, and they're talking about how I went AWOL and didn't communicate with Harbaugh about me not coming to the game, which was false because I talked to him that morning before they traveled to San Diego. And so uh, it got weirder after that. I had an interview with the Sacramento Bee. I kind of told them the exact same thing I just told you. It got back to the Niners organization. They didn't want to release me. So I had to call Harbaugh and apologize about what I said in the Sacramento Bee. And then literally about two hours later, they released me and I flew to Green Bay. So it's crazy how I ended up That's in Green crazy. Bay. No, seriously, it was my agent called me and he said, look, you need to apologize to Harbaugh because he's not going to release you unless you apologize. Literally. I called him. Luckily, he didn't answer the phone, left a voicemail. And uh, that next morning, uh, Green Bay called, and then I flew to Green Bay and then signed with him. Even though he'd be the one, I mean, it's got to be him putting out there that you're AWOL. Like, that's not coming oh, out yeah. of thin air. Right. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. I went AWOL. He's never seen a player come to him on game day and say, you know, he wants to be released. But I'm, I'm literally sitting in a room with all the rookies and all the guys that are going to be released, they're getting ready to play or, or getting ready for Green Bay because that's who we played week one. And I'm sitting in a room and I look around. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think this is the place for me. And that's when I realized. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Harbaugh in the morning, man to man, face to face, kind of see what their situation is, what they think that, you know, am I going to be on the roster? Because if I'm not, my money's not guaranteed the whole nine. And so, uh, yeah, he, he, he talked differently of me on, on the telecast or kind of told the reporters that I went AWOL, so I didn't like that. That's an asshole move if I've ever heard one. Man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, San Francisco is different. San Francisco Jeez. is really different. That was a, a very eye-opening experience for me going to San Francisco for a week. Well, Jim, we got we we do have a front office exec on this podcast. Exactly. So is that common like, to just bring somebody in and use them as bait? When you said that's an asshole move, the, my first thought was that Harbaugh. Like, yeah. I, that's anybody that's ever that guy is so different than anybody I've ever come across. Not that I ever worked with him, but just a small interactions. He is out there. Like, yeah. I, I am not surprised that he wanted you'd apologize like that is just that's wrong yeah. man that's the people don't understand it's just incredible the, we, the more we talk to guys you know we get more and more out of people so really the people understand that it this business is it's a business and it Absolutely. is and to treat you guys like you can just snap your fingers and appear in a new city and then be ready and know the offense and be ready to play no no that's not good enough snap fingers go to another team it you guys are human beings. Like you have families, you have to study the playbook. Like it's not that easy. And everybody just expects you to show up and just play the next day. And it is, I, I always, we're, we're very player friendly on this show. And um, I don't know if you caught Kaepernick's um, Netflix show yet. Absolutely. I just watched it last I, night. I just watched the first episode. And one of the reasons I absolutely am happy to not be in scouting right now was because of the combine. It was the, I, what he did, what he, how they portrayed the combine, Tyler. Right. 
is how I, I didn't feel right as a, I didn't like it. It didn't mm. feel right sitting there. And it was really just the measurements, the height and weight. Now it, it didn't feel right. It, it felt very, right. um, it did how he said, it, I just couldn't believe it. I just thought this is, this is, <laughs> he, he went best. for that I'm shock so value. Happy. I mean, slavery is, um, Tyler, went there. you need to be in that room. Seneca, you tell me, I'm not, you don't right. say anything you want to say, but I'm just telling you, mm-hmm. it had a weird feeling to me as a scout. I hated it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was different. I mean, the times definitely have changed. Um, we don't have all the technology pieces that come along right. with going to the combine now, right? Um, so, yeah, definitely for me, being up there on stage and they're filing you through all your measurables and everything else, height, weight, yeah, I mean, it's very depicted. I think he painted a picture. I mean, because obviously the the Netflix series is painting the picture on black and white and and him being raised by, you know, a white family mm-hmm. and them not understanding the things like the 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 I think it was a tournament. It's on you probably haven't seen it yet and it's going to go into detail. Okay. Okay. But there's a lot of different things that uh, make you think about, you know, on us as players. And I think Adrian Peterson said it too. I think he said, you know, it's modern day slavery on how they kind of, you know, handle the situation, especially when you go to the combine because they're poking and prying at you. They're wanting to see if you're going to be able to perform at a high level and how long you're going to be able to perform at a high level. Uh, and so, but it's no, the we most, get it. It's the worst conditions for you to perform at your best like correct like it's the schedule is it's just shoveling guys it's in shoveling. And out right mm-hmm. it's it's like we were just talking about snap your fingers and do this snap your fingers now get out here come more guys and it's like right. how is this fair to you guys like it's just i don't know i just hated the whole setup it just feels like it it could have been done better like really the pro day is at least a little bit better for you to perform at your well, best. Well, that's why you think most players get to perform. I mean, yeah. we get it. We know what the combine's for. You yeah. know, it, it, especially yeah. now, it's all about, you know, a ratings, getting on the field, get work. I mean, that's it. That's all it really is. Yeah. You know, when you go yeah. to your pro day, that's when guys are able to perform. They're actually yeah. doing drills, not doing the same <laughs> copy and paste drills they've been copy doing paste, forever. You know, and so, yeah, it's a lot different. And, and that's why you see guys perform. They run better. They throw better. They catch better because they're more yes. in their environment that they True. created, not what the NFL created. Right. So, you know, right, we had – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because a good 40 time is going to help you get drafted higher. You know what I mean? A good vertical, that stuff matters. Right. But when it – you're right, that, that, that combine mundane – kind of atmosphere maybe not the way yeah i mean you, and then you're not getting rest you know you're going to meetings you're doing mris and you're doing all this like he said you're getting sh- pushed and shoved in different directions within like a day and a half period then they're going to ask you to go on the field and perform you know we're going to turn the lights on go in there and perform for us run your 40 you know do your pro agility do your broad do your vert and so a lot of times you know by that time people are so exhausted by the time they get to the field and yeah. uh, and mentally are just not focused on what they got to do. And they have trained up to this point probably eight months for this right. moment to go to the combine, right? And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah. man, I'm exhausted. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through this. You put and it then, perfectly. It's the NFL. I mean, they want to make th- this a year-round product. So they build up the combine as this big thing. They make it bigger than it is. And then, you know, right. they're putting it on their network, state-run TV. Everybody watches. Everybody tunes in. And, I mean, as a media member there, we, we don't even watch the events. Like, you're there with the media to talk to guys like Jim at the bar at 2 a.m. to, right. to find right. a scoop or something crazy. You know what like, I mean? Like, right, right. The events don't really yeah. even matter. As, exactly. But then Seneca, well, think about – go ahead. I was going to say, then all that – we're talking about all that. Then you have to go at night and interview with the head coach right for 15 minutes you get you have to be on point on point right and it's 15 minutes next room 15 minutes come to this team that that's hard to do for it's just the whole setup is just i just can't believe that's how it is but you know they they want to see how people are going to perform under pressure i mean that's all about it i mean at the end of the day they know when they get to go to the pro day you're in your environment you're going to act totally different and so 
you know, you just got to take it. You know, we, I trained some of the guys that are going through the process as well, you know, when they're going through the combine and, you know, you want to prep them for the interviews. You want to prep them for the things that are going to happen at the combine. At the end of the day, we know what it's going to come down to. You know, when right. you get to your pro day and you're able to perform in your environment, that's what's really going to matter. They just want to kind of push you through this system and actually see if you can handle it. And then we want to see what you do at your pro day. Right. And so, you know, that's what we kind of preach to the guys. Just making sure you go there, you know, you're truthful with them when you step in the room. Obviously, you have your answers ready because they're most likely going to ask you all the same questions, especially about your background, your history. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the main thing. You know, yeah, you don't want to bomb at the combine. But at the end of the day, we all know what the combine is for. I mean, it's a money it's a money maker now. Yeah, I was going to share this story. I mean, back when I went to the combine, we didn't have all the, the you know, the, the new fancy tops that they're wearing and the bottoms, the shoes. <laughs> They were getting all decked out because now it's all sponsored. But back then, all they gave us literally was a top with a number on the back. Mm -hmm. We all know what Tom Brady looked like when he was running. It's about the same stuff. And I literally had to borrow somebody else's shoes to run my 40 because I didn't have the proper shoes to run it. So I borrowed somebody else's shoes. That's incredible. I mean, and now these guys get bags with right. a, a ton of stuff in it. So we know what it's for. I mean, it's all for, all for show. That's all it's for. Seneca, take take it back as far as you want. I mean, um, Cordova High School, mm -hmm. um, Sacramento City College. I mean, wh where does this really start for you? Your your rise, your career. Uh, how did it um How did it all begin? I think it all began for me um, going to Oregon State. A lot of people don't know I wasn't qualified coming out. I went to Oregon State as an athlete. And uh, during that time when I went to Oregon State, uh, Sacramento City College, the head coach reached out to me and said, hey, man, if it doesn't work out for you at Oregon State, you got a position here at Sac City. And literally during that 98, it was August of 1998, um, I got the worst news ever. And that was that my mom had cancer. And so my brother flew up to Oregon to pick me up. We drove back to Sacramento. I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to play football anymore. After I got that news, you know, in 1998, as a young kid, I'm 18, and you hear that your mom has cancer, you're thinking, worst case scenario, all right, mom's going to die, you know. And so I didn't know what kind of cancer she had or whatever the case may be. So she had multiple myeloma, was diagnosed with that in 1998. I missed the 1998 season. I didn't even play at all. I kind of took a sabbatical in a sense stepped away from football. She told me everything was going to be okay. I want you to go back and, and just do the things that you love. And so spring, I stepped back on the campus at Sacramento City College. And literally, you know, it's crazy because the next four and a half years was kind of like a blur. I played two years at Sacramento City College where I started off at receiver the first uh I think four or five games at receiver because I was just getting new. I was a short yardage quarterback. We ran an option and then they said, Hey, Seneca, we want to put you out at receiver. So I started receiving the first couple of games and I was fine with that. You know, I knew I was better than the other guy that was playing in front of me, but at, in junior college, it's all about giving guys opportunities. You have two years to shine. If the guys have started the year before, most likely it'll be the start of the following year. And so this was his sophomore year. So I said, you know what? I'm cool with being receiver. But then he broke his wrist, I think, week four. He broke his wrist. And then after that, I took over, became a JUCO All-American at quarterback. And, um, and uh, I started getting recruited again. And then I started getting recruited by all the Pac-10 schools, UW, Cal, USC. And still, most of those schools, like when I was coming out of high school, wanted me to play a different position still. And um, Big 12 was huge in recruiting in the Sacramento area, especially Iowa State was. Um, I started, I was getting recruited by Iowa State, uh, Kansas State, Nebraska. And man, I, I fell in love with the campus when I went to Iowa State. I knew it was a great opportunity for me to step in right away to play um, because they were losing Sage Rosenfeld who went on to the NFL. Um, they had a lot of returners coming back. So I knew it was a great opportunity for me for two years, step on campus, 
play. And literally that first spring ball is where I solidified it. After spring ball, it was like, oh, the hype started. And um, and the next two years was just a crazy blur. My mom got to witness me playing in college. She loved every moment of it. Um, end up coming in, you know, uh, what, fourth place, fifth place in the Heisman race in 2002, uh, my, my second year. And uh, shoot, you start getting, you know, all these agents calling you about this and that, and you're going through the whole process. And next thing I know, hey, you know, you want to go to, you're going to the combine, you're going to East West Shrine, blah, 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 blah. Hey, you want to play receiver. You want to run routes. You want to do this. You want to do that. And all this starts up again. And so, um, you know, just like uh, Kaepernick's story, you know, that's why for me, um, it relates to me in some ways. Obviously, we're both quarterbacks. He played baseball. But a lot of the stuff that he had to deal with was very similar to the things that I had to deal with. And uh, one being an athletic quarterback during that time with like Antoine, Antoine Randall and all these other quarterbacks that were very similar to my style of play that didn't get the opportunity to play quarterback in the National Football League. Um, and so, you know, lo and behold, I get drafted in the fourth round to Seattle and it changed my life because obviously Mike Holmgren was my head coach. He said over the phone, I still remember when he called, you are going to be a quarterback and a quarterback only. And from the first day that I stepped in with the Seattle Seahawks, I never was asked or pushed to play a different position. And the only time when I did play receiver, he came up to me and said, hey, do you want to play receiver? Because we got Daryl Jackson's down, Bobby Ingram's down. You know our offense. You can be our fourth receiver when we go four wides. If you want to do it, so be it. But for the next seven years that I spent in Seattle, it was nothing but quarterback. It's remarkable. I mean, we had LeVon Kirkland on, what, a few weeks ago, and he was reliving those practices against Cordell Stewart. I mean, think about those Steeler defenses and how right. good they were in the late 90s. And he's just like, Cordell would just tear them up. Yet, it still was a weird time for him. I mean, he, he's playing quarterback, but he's slashed. They, exactly. they, they weren't really fitting the offense to do what he does best. And, I mean, there's probably so many moments, Seneca, where you're thinking, man, if I was just in the NFL today with the right <laughs> coaching staff, they'd know how to use me in my prime. I mean, it, it just – you had a lot of coaches stuck in their way. It was a league kind of stuck in its way at the turn of the century, and wasn't it, it? It was, and it was, man. I mean, it was, you know, it's just like anything else, right? You know, there was people that paved the way before me. You know, you had the, the Doug Williamsons of the world. You had the Warren Moons of the world. You had the Randall Cunninghams of the world. And I'm talking just specifically black quarterbacks. And they paved the way to give me an opportunity as a undersized black quarterback to get the opportunity to play. Do I regret uh, the fact that, you know, in the National Football League back then, we had to conform to what offense was already in place in the Seattle Seahawks offense, which was West Coast? I had to do what Mike Congram did, right? Now you fast forward 15 years later, 20 years later, look at the systems that are in place in college. Look at the systems that are in place in high school. So now that the things that are these kids are learning in high school, they're just transferring over to college. What they're learning in college is now transferring over to, to the pros. Cliff Kingsbury is a head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. And everything that they're doing is what Kyler Murray has done since high school. Since high school. I live here in Texas. I know it. He's the greatest high school quarterback ever to come out of the state of Texas. But he's been doing the exact same thing. I had to learn how to walk and talk and be in a West Coast system that was made for Joe Montana, Steve Young, Fred Favre. You have to play under center. We're not putting you in shotgun and letting you just stay back, read the defense, take off running and use your athleticism. No, you need to learn how to play under center. Like literally 70 plays in a game, we might line up in shotgun five plays. And that was only on third down and long. Most of the time we were under center. So there was so much that I had to learn in order to be a, a quarterback in the National Football League. And nowadays these kids, 
They walk right into a system, all right, what does he do well? What's his strength? What's his weaknesses? Let's build this system around what he does well. Lamar Jackson's playing tonight. We already see it. I mean, they build a system around him to let him utilize his skills. And if anybody needs a reminder of, of your, your speed, your athleticism, your mobility, all of that, you, you, the, the, the play that should come to mind when you hear Seneca Walls, the run. I mean, what, what a nickname for a play to have. Like, <laughs> the run. Yeah. You know, um, gosh, it, it was a 12-yard touchdown run against Texas Tech, 2002, I want to say. Yep. If this is correct, I think I read that it was estimated you ran 135 yards on a 12-yard touchdown <laughs> run. 135 yards on a 12-yard run against Cliff Kingsbury in Texas Tech. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. quarterback no. then. That's right. <laughs> no, it was, uh, you know, I, I hate to say I mean, well, no, I don't hate to say it, but, you know, I think the NFL only got 80% of me. They didn't get the full me of the things that I was capable of doing. And, uh, you know, Mike wanted to control that homeroom. And, you know, it's it, it, it helped me uh, maybe prolong my career, uh, helped me just accelerate understanding, trying to have a football IQ and a mentality from a quarterback's perspective, which was good. But at the same time, it handcuffed me in so many ways where I couldn't do the run in the National Football League. Yeah, the game was a lot faster, but we didn't have design runs for me like I had in college. I would have been able to get on the edge, utilize my speed, and do some things from an athletic standpoint that I think would have probably helped our team a lot more. And now, look, now they got Russell Wilson doing all the good stuff up there now. (laughs) So this is what we talked about for rookie quarterbacks. To me, if you're in the front office and you draft a Seneca Wall's fourth round, you should have a straight plan for this guy. Like, mm. hey, how are we going to max out this ability? It, it shouldn't right. be let's let's make him into Hasselbeck or Holmgren. Why can't we let's make him into what he can do best? And that's why I guess to me, my question would be, did you feel supported? I mean, I know that what you said was pretty cool that Holmgren said, hey, you're playing quarterback, which I think is awesome. Right. But mm. did he take it that next step where – not only are you going to play quarterback, we're going to utilize your talents to your ability and have a package for you and try to get you like they could have done red zone, red zone, you, you in the red zone is a, it's a nightmare for a defense. You know, right. it, it is for, like, so your rookie year, they should have had a whole red zone package for you, which I'll never understand how, if they took you in the fourth round, why didn't they have a plan like that? But, and they didn't, and I, don't, yeah. I don't think that, uh, you know, they were very innovative. You know, I, I don't think so. I think Mike was so stuck in his ways and was very stubborn on the things that he envisioned. I, 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 we've had so many conversations when I was playing just about certain things. You know, even if I took off scrambling and I didn't stay in the pocket and he called double option for whatever reason, he wanted to throw the ball to Bobby Ingram. And if Bobby was standing there wide open to give us six yards and I didn't throw it and I took off running, he immediately was on the headset yelling and cursing me out. And so when I say that they didn't have the vision to say, all right, look, we have this kid who is super talented. He is not like Matt Hasselback. He is not like Trent Dilfer. He is not like Brock Hughes. He's not like any of these other quarterbacks we've had here, let alone he's not like any other quarterbacks that I've had that I've coached. Maybe Steve Young type, but we were still all different. And, but I had to conform. I had to change my style of game to fit Matt Hasselback and what he did. And we, we always knew that. We knew when I was there for them years, Mo Morris was the running back. We knew what his situation was. It was always going to be Sean Alexander's number one. We don't want any competition. Matt Hasselback's going to be the starter. We don't want any competition. No competition you right. guys just sit there and we're going to pay you fairly well to be our ace in the hole. If all goes to shit, we could throw you guys in there. If our line is banged up and you guys can try to win us some ball games. There was no vision to say, all right, these are the things we're going to do when Mo Morris and Seneca Wallace are in the game at the same time. We're going to, we're going to open it up. We're going to do some zone read stuff. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, 
the offense still stayed the same. And no, I don't think that that's why I said there was things that I learned and I learned a lot of football when I was there. I learned a lot. Mike Holmgren would always make me and Matt Hasselbeck. Somebody asked me this the other day. How did I prepare for games? And I said, you know how I had to prepare and what was the most nerve wracking thing that I had to do was we had to learn the play calls. So on that play call sheet that you see these coaches holding over their face, <laughs> the only thing that Mike Holmgren would tell us was just the play. He would never tell us the formation to that play. Now there was 180 to 200 plays on his call sheet. Wow. And so literally when we, when the week started on that Wednesday, our thought process had to switch from that week is done, that prior week, to now, all right, what is our new formations? What are our new run plays in base? Short yardage, goal line, third down, right. two minute. We had to know all the formations because Brett Favre, something happened when he was coaching in Green Bay, headset went down, Brett Favre didn't know what to call. And from that day forth, he told us, I will make sure all my quarterbacks know every single freaking play. And it was the most nerve wracking thing. We'll sit there looking at the first 15, literally two minutes before we go out, we're studying the first 15 because we had to memorize everything. It was crazy. I mean, what's the life of a backup quarterback year in and year out? Really? I, I always try, try to put myself in your shoes where, I mean, you have to go into every single game with the mindset that you're one play away from starting right. and need to know all of that that you just said. Need to know the defense you're playing. Need to know all the players around you. And then chances are you're going to go through that game and you're not going to get a shot. And that happens right. again and again. I mean, that, man, that's got to be tough to, to really feel like you're ready. Like, given, given all the circumstances, you're, you're ready to go in there, ball out, do your thing, and you don't get that opportunity game to game, season to season, next thing you know, you played in the NFL decade. Right. It was, it was still so hard though. You know, it was, uh, I think Mike knew Mike could be an asshole <laughs> and he was very stubborn. I mean, we used to call him Debo uh, for a reason, you know, Debo, he, he wouldn't want nobody riding on the elevator with him. You know, he's a huge man. He's like six, six. And Matt Hasselbeck's like my brother. And he knows, he just went into the Ring of Honor in Seattle like two weeks ago. Yeah, so And, you know, he, he said, look, Sam, you're going in with me. We spent seven years together. And so I, I know what kind of person Hasselbeck is. I love him to death. But there was sometimes I had to push buttons on that dude just to get him to finish games. Was he the toughest guy? No. Was he the smartest guy? Yes. Was he the most technically sound guy when it came to the West Coast system, I would say yes. But there was things that Mike Holmgren knew that he did not have. And Matt wasn't an asshole. He wasn't a tough guy. So if he got hit a couple times, Hasselbeck would almost be ready to check out. And I would have to push him through it. So I think Mike also knew what kind of person he had in me. We would get in fussing matches, you know, even though we weren't be looking face to face. I'll be on the field if something happened. I'm cussing him out. He's cussing me out. And the next thing we know, we're loving on each other. He knew what kind of people he had to have on his football team in order to be successful. I think he really did. You know, he had to keep a couple assholes around. He had to keep a couple gritty guys around. But he also knew I need to have certain pieces in place in order for me to win. So when did that happen? When did you really have to kind of like toughen Matt up? Was there a moment that comes to mind? Oh, yeah. Arizona, big, big divisional game. He just got hit by Adrian Wilson, smacked him like on the two-yard line. It's like maybe four minutes left to go. He comes to the sideline talking about, you're going to have to go in. I, I, I got the win knocked out of me. I'm like, no, Hasselback. In this situation, you need to finish off this game. You just got the win knocked out of you. You didn't have to be helped off the field. You know what I mean? Um, but there was just so many different uh, times throughout our, 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 you know, seven years together that just little subtle things that just happened to keep encouraging him. You know, even when Mike got down on him from time to time, 
you know, just making sure he kept his head in the game and, and continued to keep pressing on, you know, San Francisco. I feel like every time we play San Francisco, at some point I was either in the game or starting at some point. Either Mike knew because I had family that came up from Sacramento to watch yeah. the games. He always gave me an opportunity. Oh, Matt was playing terrible. Are you loose? Get your ass loose. You're going in the game. And like literally threatening Matt that I'm going to go in the game. <laughs> so it was just, it was very comical, man. And it was uh, some of the funnest moments I had as a football player, just being able to spend time with those guys, being able to be coached by them. And like I said, I learned a lot from Matt being around him, just learning how to study, learning how to be a pro, you know, because things weren't given to him. He got cut several times from Green Bay. And then finally, when he got to Seattle, he got his opportunity to be the guy. And you guys got screwed in that Super Bowl, man. And that was – Oh, that absolutely. Was, I mean, how, how bad was it to be out there and see these calls happening against Pittsburgh in 05? <laughs> it was bad. I mean, the whole situation was bad. We had the Rolling Stones performing at halftime. It snowed. We were in Detroit. The whole thing was just awful. I mean, literally, it was a home game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, come right. on. It was yeah, terrible yeah. towels everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then we go out there, they're calling P.I. on Jeremy Stevens. They're calling P.I. on Daryl Jackson on two touchdowns that got turned over called, right? Then you got Ben Roethlisberger diving over the pile. Ball does not even cross the plane, and they call him in for a touchdown. So, and then obviously, what, years later, I guess the ref came out and said that he blew the calls. He knew he blew the calls or whatever else. It, it, it was messy. It was messy. We Did we play our best football? No. Um, you know, we had some injuries that happened during that game as well. And Antoine Rendell Hill, uh, Hill hits us on a, a reverse pass to Heinz Ward, the safety that's in the game. I still remember it. He, he shouldn't have been in the game. Uh, but we were out of position. Bowler is out of position. This is a tackle. The very first play of the third quarter, they strike out. Uh, Parker strikes out 75 yards on us. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a tough it was a tough loss for us, but you know I think it we kind of kept pushing that pendulum in the right direction for the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I mean, obviously, and then Russell and Pete they took it from there. Yeah, but oh my God, that was brutal. I mean, it's it was one of those games that really kind of makes you think. Like, I, I don't want to be a conspiracist and and you know put on that tinfoil cap, but I don't know <laughs> that game. There's a lot of like egregious extremely egregious calls like that's a that's sacramento la lakers bad i mean imagine you remember exactly uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I remember that <laughs> yeah man i grew up having to watch that series but no it's like i said you got jerome bettis back home in his hometown where he's from yeah they're not gonna they're not it, gonna let him lose that game right the refs no, aren't gonna let that happen. That, that's why i said it was just the whole thing was primed and pumped for Pittsburgh still is to win that game. Regardless if we didn't play our best football, it uh, there was just a lot of things uh, that just didn't kind of sit well with us uh, during the course of that game. Sorry, Jim, if you want to hop so, in here. You just made me start thinking about Chris Weber. Oh, yeah. I was just – when you brought up that, I, I was thinking so – we were talking – some of my friends, we were talking about he – could go down as one of the most talented basketball players that you never really talk about. He he, yeah. he always never like socially fit. Like he always never was like loved by everybody. And, right. but man, his talent for at the time to have, he had the best hands, like his ability to, to rebound and just everything. He right. could, like, I just, I, I that you just talking about him made me think how great he was, but yet never want like, you know, Never won the big one. No, big one. And, and those Kings, dude, I mean, it sucked because that was during my era of yeah, that's, being in high school, you know what yeah, I mean? In yeah. the late 90s, going up against mm -hmm. the Lakers when you got Vladi Divac, you got Weber, Doug Christie, you know, it, it, Mike Bibby, uh, Peja Stoyakovich. Bobby dude. Jackson. You know, they had Bobby Jackson. They had a squad. squad. They had a legit yeah. squad, man. And for them to not be able to to win it that year. I mean, we all go back to, you know, when Vladi Divac, instead of re rebounding the ball, he wants to tip it out. And then Robert Ory hits the three and the rest was history after that. But that was our, 
that was our window in time for us to win the NBA Finals for sure. I sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. I just had to. Oh get no, that. you all just, good, uh, man. That, we that literally just. That no, I know. I didn't want to like. I felt like we were talking about your loss in the Super Bowl. The Kings not winning. This is supposed oh, to be an up. No. Yeah, we gotta get that. No, it's, it's life, man. It just makes us it tougher, is. man. So it is what it is. Seneca, I think uh, we when we caught up, uh, got a few months ago. I, I was I was surprised you remember this, but we were the only people in that movie theater way back when. I think it was the movie Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal. Was that I when I went with Aaron to the movie? Yeah, so I'm there yeah. with my my girlfriend at the time in Green Bay, and this yeah. is like just so Green Bay, Wisconsin. Like the only people at the whole theater, like were me, my ex, Seneca, I think your wife maybe, my and wife Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. And it was oh, yeah. it was great to see you. You were super friendly. I it was just odd. I mean, I covered the Packers then, and I mean, I. I and me and Aaron Rodgers were, were fine at that point, you know, way back when <laughs> <laughs> things have changed a little, um, yeah. but he's still like, he couldn't wait to get out of that theater, man. It was like, boom, he was out, but I was just like, all right, well, I just was thinking like, I wonder what life is really like as the starting quarterback for the Packers in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but you were with Aaron that season. Um, a lot's happened this season alone, this week alone. It was pretty insane. Uh, what were your impressions of, you know, a pretty mercurial quarterback, to say the least? Well, you know, Aaron is, like I said before, man, he's a different character. Um, but a unique character in a way that makes you want to always try to keep peeling back these layers so you can kind of get to the core of him, so you can get a better understanding of who he is. You know, and I think, um, you know, that makes him who he is on the football field, makes him great. Uh, because I always think he's always processing. He's always in deep thought. He's always going to be one step ahead of you. Um, you know, and, and I think that's that's a plus. I mean, obviously, his football talent on the football field is like no other. You know, like I said, he was one of the, if not the most gifted quarterback I ever was around. Uh, and I was around some really good ones from Drew Brees, uh, Hasselback, Trent, and some other guys. But um, from a standpoint of being able to uh, just throw the football from different platforms, uh, there's nobody else that can do it better than he can. Um, yeah, I mean, I think talking to people, I talked to somebody from the USA Today, and they're all talking about how people are saying how weird he is. But are we all weird in all in different ways? Uh, we're, we're all weird in some different way. I mean, who's to say that, you know, this is the right way or whatever else. Um, there are some things that I, I think he, that raises eyebrows that he does, you know, and, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I know there was a lot of, uh, stuff going on, you know, what he said about the vaccination said he was immunized, um, a very different choice of words, but that doesn't surprise me. That's Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? He's always going to say something clever, something different uh, that's going to kind of have you raise your eyebrow for sure. You know, Seneca, in the front office, if you know, the number one rule, and I think coaches, you've heard this, but to your point, yes, everybody's weird and can have your opinion on whatever. The biggest thing nobody wants is to be a distraction from winning the Super Bowl. Just Correct. don't be a distraction, you know, however Correct. you can figure a way out to not be a distraction. Everybody, you can do whatever you want, really. Right. And I think that's what kind of like he had the off season this year. He was the distraction. Correct. Here we are again. They are, this team is loaded. Like this Green Bay Packers team is Tyler and I talk about it every week. They're loaded. And mm -hmm. if he just, if everything is right, they're, they're going to be fighting for a Super Bowl. Just don't be a distraction you know, come back and get this thing done. But that to me is the only thing I noticed. Like, why do you have to, I mean, he obviously, right. I, I've never really, I mean, I've studied guys for 20 years, scout. I've never seen anything like him throwing the football. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable. It really well, that's is. That's what I'm saying though, Jim. I mean, we don't know what's going on internally between no. him and the head coach, right? Um, yes, I know this off season, they had a, a lot of back and forth. Um, about is Aaron going to be a Packer or not, right? 
Right. Uh, then he arrives, you know, and finally goes back to the Packers for a one-year deal. All right, we fast forward. We're eight games into the season. They're eight and one, right, or whatever it was before Seven. they lost yeah. this past week. Seven. Right, right. And, you know, now this whole thing about the whole COVID stuff comes about. I wouldn't say that Aaron's – I wouldn't say he's he's ever been a distraction to uh, the Green Bay Packers. No, I, don't, I don't know if you guys are – you know no. – the dude is such a talent that we know who a distraction is. I'm just talking to my friend just uh, about a couple hours ago, and we're talking about Odell Beckham, no doubt. right? We're talking about the great receivers. I think all the great receivers <laughs> at some point have been <laughs> a distraction to their ball. Somehow, <laughs> I mean, let's just be yeah. honest. I mean, Odell is a great receiver. Chad Ochocinco, Terrell Owens, um, you know, the list goes on and on. There were some clean receivers that played the game the right way. But some of these 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 bigger personality guys, yes, they all have been a distraction to, at some point throughout their career to their ball club. But one thing is for sure, yeah, you don't want your quarterback to lose focus on the big picture and be the distraction. That's all. I'm not sitting here saying that he is the distraction. I don't think anybody is saying that. I just think he's uh, his choice of words and the things that are surrounded around this COVID situation. And, you know, it's just what we're in this year in the last two years is this whole COVID stuff. I mean, obviously if the COVID stuff never happened, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation about he his did, choice it just of words. It just to me seemed like he could have, this never had to be an issue. Like nobody, you know, Kirk Cousins, Absolutely. Carson Wentz, you know, they're just not be backstage. honest. Just, just be honest. honest. Right. And then you, and then that's all. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's going to come back <laughs> whenever this week and against and, Seattle. And, 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 and squeak another one out. It might and, be 16-14 Packers. And, we'll, and we may <laughs> never remember this. We may never exactly. remember this again. So. I and wonder, that's what I'm saying. Go ahead. When we talked to Seneca, it was about 48 hours before he announced that he was going to be back. And we were on the same wavelength. I was hearing from people close to Aaron Rodgers that he was seriously considering retirement. He said that himself right. at that press conference where he, he lit his own employers on fire. I mean, mm -hmm. he just scorched them. So <laughs> that was that's a whole story unto itself. But there was right. almost like this understanding like, okay, like, the, the, the Green Bay Packers welcomed him back, even though he basically dragged them out into the public square to embarrass him is the way we've been putting right. it. Like they, they wanted to bring it because he's so talented, as you guys are saying. So there is this understanding of like, okay, Aaron, you can do whatever the hell you want this year. All the other unvaccinated Packer guys had to do their interviews on zoom with the media. Um, right. You know what? He's following protocol when the cameras are off, when the cameras are on, the mask is off. He's the, the public is led to believe he's vaccinated. That's why I can't buy this whole like war against the woke mob. Like you were a part of the mob, dude. Like you went along with it. You were lying to everybody. So right. I, I don't know. Like he's so talented. Maybe that supersedes everything, right? Maybe if I'm a teammate of Aaron Rodgers, I don't give a shit about anything else because he's going to make me money because he's so good. He's going to win me games because he's so good. But I do wonder like the, the misleading people, the public, maybe not right. them day to day that, kind of piss you off a little bit as a teammate yeah I, I think so I mean like I said he he's a guy and I told you this before he's gonna march to the beat of his own drum if you like it or not uh I think um you know that that's Aaron Rodgers uh you have to take what comes along with Aaron um he has his beliefs on what he has his beliefs on like I said before the conspiracies the, all the craziness stuff and the way he thinks, very analytical. Um, you had some of that yes. then. You heard some of his conspiracy theories. Yeah, man. I mean, from talking about from the, the jet streams, from the planes flying mm -hmm. over, dumping different chemicals down on us, just crazy stuff, you know? Um, right. But yes, I do believe that a lot of the things that, that happen for Aaron Rodgers and the things that it, you can't take away the way he processes information and the things that he does on the football field. Has he done anything malicious outside of football? No. Like you said, we just wanted the truth. 
People just wanted to hear the truth that, hey, I'm not vaccinated. It is what it is. Here's why. But I think if you're going to say that you're not vaccinated or for whatever reason, give us the science behind why you're not getting vaccinated. Give us a reason, a legitimate reason on why you're not getting vaccinated. You can't sit here and say these statements. I was listening to, to Shannon Sharp and, uh, and, and Skip, and he was talking about how he wanted to compare the thing he said to Martin Luther King. And it's like, dude, this is nothing that's comparable. He, he said something, and I wish I could pull it up on what he said. But He says, the great uh, MLK said you have a moral obligation to resist unjust rules. And he was talking about the mask at the podium. So basically, exactly. you know, slavery in the 60s, not say not slavery, yeah. civil rights movement in the 60s is akin to a mask at a podium. Exactly. And it's like, it's stuff like that. But just think about how deep in thought you have to go to come up with something like that. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, Aaron, he, he's a head scratcher type of guy. He's literally going to have you scratching your head with comments like that. And he's going to leave you scratching your head when it's third and 18 and you're scrambling to your left against the Dallas Cowboys and you're throwing a rope to catch a ball and Cook has to drag his toe literally and he fits it in between the DB and the sideline to catch the ball to get them to kick a field goal and win the game against the Dallas Cowboys. So it's just certain things about the guy that, just makes you scratch your head and there's no there's nothing we can say about it like again they're going to come back they're going to play against the seattle seahawks and he's going to blow your mind he had a week off and just like the old saying he said against when when did they when did you guys they started they weren't having a really good season maybe it was two games in he said just relax i got this just relax and we know that's just how he is you know i I can see the dude being like ricky williams and being somewhere in tahoe uh, on smoking weed or somewhere and just yeah. being a tree hugger or whatever else. That's, that's him. <laughs> whatever. He, he feels he can will his way through any situation, talk his way through any situation because he's the smartest guy in the room. You know, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, see, he really thought, yeah. like, with Pat McAfee, I, I can just, of course, people will understand what I, I've got these notes. He's going through his notes, he's talking his way through it. He can will through it. I mean, this is somebody who cut out family, that cut out friends. Like he's a stubborn right. guy. That Very stubborn. Is brilliant on a football field. So there you go. Like him. I can't think of anybody like Aaron Rodgers. Can you? There's nobody like him. I mean, nobody left that's playing right now that's been in the headlines for good, bad, whatever else. There's nobody like him. And then to be able to perform at a high clip on a, on the football field, you know, that, that takes a lot of uh, willpower. It takes a lot of focus, takes a lot of athleticism. And there's just things that he can do that a lot of the other players can, in the national football league as quarterbacks can't do. And I respect yeah. that, you know, I, I respect yeah. the fact of, of who he is. You want to get off the grid, you, you march, you do your thing. You know, it's just like all these state farm commercials he in that's, if you really look at those State Farm commercials, that is Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> God, how's life for you, Seneca? I mean, uh, what are you up to right now? What should people know? Life is good, man. You know, just grinding through. Uh, I got six wing stops up in the state of Iowa that I own right now. Not wow. doing very, very well, you know, because obviously in our uh, – you know, in our country right now, dealing with high labor, dealing with cogs and things like that, getting supplies. It's Supply a huge chain. issue. Brutal. It's it's tough. There was a chicken shortage. Wing stops. Uh, uh, they dropped their stock dropped about fourteen percent, I think, last Wednesday. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle, especially being up in Iowa in the Midwest. It's a struggle just to find good workers. Uh, but just grinding through that, uh, mentoring kids who up and coming high school kids, college quarterbacks. That's what I do here. I was offense coordinator here at the private school. We finished off one and nine. Wasn't very good. It was a rebound year for us after last year. I wasn't there. I was coaching with the Cowboys last year, of course. And I left uh, the, the same school I was at the year before we went to the state championship game. It's a private school. So we had 30 some odd kids transfer and go elsewhere. 
just because I really wasn't there. And so this is a, this is a rebound, a rebuilding year for us. We ended up losing the Jason Witten's team, uh, who was also one and eight at the time when we played them. So they ended up uh, two and eight and we finished the season off at one and nine. Um, but yeah, man, raising my kids, I got three little ones and trying to enjoy life as much as I can and trying, trying to stay relevant. What ages are your kids? Seven. He just turned seven yesterday. Uh, that's my Cruz. oldest. That's Cruz. Raya's five. That's my daughter. And then I have Dash, who is two. Wow. How do you do it? Seven, How do you balance two. it all? It's a struggle, man. I mean, it's late nights, uh, early mornings, right? Getting kids up, getting them ready for school. Uh, my wife is here. She's hands on, but she does uh, her thing with her uh, her limelight stuff that she sells. And so, but it's it's a hard balance, man, especially trying to run a business uh, from far, being an absentee owner, trying to get up to Iowa as much as possible. But I'm enjoying the ride right now. I'm, I'm in my process right now of getting my teacher certification. So then that way, Ooh, I can there it is. so I can go teach at a public school, man, because the private school thing is a little bit of a struggle because you, you only gonna get if you can get kids into the school financially, you got a good opportunity to win ball games. But if you don't, you're just gonna be playing with kids at the school, <laughs> and it's slim to none. That's <laughs> so, right. You, That's so get, true. It's you, feast or famine. You're oh basically it's all hey. You're basically saying why I wanted to get into scouting and not coaching. It's all about the talent. Exactly. You, you can, gotta have you, talent. Talent. I let, let alone for me, I just need football players. I just yeah. need somebody oh, who is right. who has the the willingness to yeah. you know to go hit somebody. I mean, I've right, never right, seen right. kids run full speed at somebody. The other person keeps his momentum going while the other kid, this is our kid, this is our kid, slides down his body. <laughs> and this guy just keeps going. I've never seen it before. So we just oh, it was it was the worst experience. For me coaching this year it showed me i had to have a lot of patience for sure yeah man is there i don't know is is, is there a joy going back to the game's essence though i mean the, like you're talking about the the bare bones of the sport itself with yeah not a lot of talent i don't know yeah. it's it's got to be pretty humbling in a lot of different ways absolutely it's humbling man i mean we, look i got a great staff I got a guy named Jonathan Scott who played 10 years in the National Football League. He's my O-line coach. Played at UT. Yeah. Won a knows. national championship with him. Played with uh, yeah. the Steelers for about Steelers. six, seven years. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say Steelers. Yeah. And then my receivers coach is Chris Gibbons, who played oh, yeah. at uh, – Yeah, Wake. bounced around. Went, played at Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. He can and go. So he, has, he can go. Yes, yeah, very linear. He was a uh, take-the-top-off type guy. That was right? his game. I give you his scouting <laughs> report. I remember yeah. that. So – that's my offensive staff. And we had to question our ability as coaches. Yeah, we know that, you know, uh, I know the old saying goes, I mean, there were some guys that can coach the game better than they can play it, right? Um, but that we, we were surrounded with so much, uh, like, uh, so much knowledge that we wanted to share with these kids. Mm -hmm. But the kids just didn't have the, the football IQ to understand what we were even trying to get across. And we can we can coach it so many different ways. But if my kid doesn't understand my quarterback of all people, week nine is warming up and, and he's throwing back shoulder fades to the receivers out of nowhere, right? He doesn't even know what a back shoulder fade is, Jim. <laughs> and then obviously in the game, in the game, in a crucial part of the game, he decides to throw a back shoulder fade to one of our receivers, okay? And it's zone coverage. The DB's butt is facing the sideline. He's looking directly at the quarterback. He throws a back shoulder fade, and it gets picked. So I asked him, I said, why did you throw a back shoulder fade? Well, Coach, you told me if the DB's over the top and it's a go route to throw the back shoulder fade. And I just, I just, I scratched my head. I said, okay. All right. So I understand. I, I see you know. why we had to struggle. I'm like, no, you don't. I, that's not what I meant. So, you know, they have to kind of, uh, you know, pick and choose what they're hearing and obviously and understanding how to kind of navigate through that. 
And our kids are just not there, especially when you're dealing with private school kids. No, no football IQ whatsoever. I have my three C's that I taught these kids. Competent leads to them being confident, which would lead to them being more comfortable on the football field. If you can manage those three C's, we'll be successful. But the competent one, <laughs> we already missed out <laughs> on that one. It. Can't get it. Yeah, they can't get it, man. Absolutely. I love it. That's awesome. Well, man, well, hey, we'll get get that certificate. You know, maybe have some more options. Who knows what the future holds? Absolutely. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Seneca, you're a legend, dude. Thanks so much for, for hanging out with us for over an hour like this. That, that was a lot no, of fun. You got it, man. Yeah, no, it was good. I can go finish watching the last uh, second half of this game. Yeah. I was going to say, with three kids, coach, I don't even know how you had this much time for us like this, but thank you. We, we love the stories. No, no, that was that's great. That's why I told you. I got to put the kids down, and my wife is out. She's doing something with her friends, and I threw the kids in bed, and luckily, we did baby-wise with our kids, so it's like literally just put them in a bed and they go to sleep and they're done. Oh, the three of us, we got all our kids in bed. So this is a perfect You're time, right man. Now. Really? Everybody's sleeping right now. That's Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey man, we'll, we'll hopefully catch you down the road. Thanks so much for taking time. Tyler, Jim, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Have a good one. You too, Seneca. Thanks. All right. Later.